Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have on Dr. Lisa Larkin, and she is going to be talking about a new type of precision medicine test called the gallery. And it's a blood test that basically detects tumor DNAs in your bloodstream and can actually diagnose a lot of hard to diagnose cancers at an early stage. And what we have learned and what doctors say time and time again is that the earlier you locate the cancer, the better your chance of survival. So we are really grateful to be sharing this information. And Dr. Larkin is one of the first doctors that's carrying it at Miss Medicine. Bridge and I are both excited to get the test. We just have to find it somewhere in Nashville. And we're going to be t- asking her the questions that we know you would have with your doctor if you found out about this test and wanted to get it. And we think for over 50, it's definitely worth it. So we will talk about that. But before we get there, we just have a couple of different things we want to share. Bridget has been traveling. How was you? Well, you know what? It was a lot of fun, except for I tried to get a a contact out of my eye that was already out of my eye. (laughs) And I didn't realize that. And then I just poked and irritated the heck out of my eye and go to an eye doctor out of town. So I I walked in there and said, I will pay $2,000 if you fix this. Well, it was only $35. My husband That's even better. I, it's better. My husband told me I'd be a terrible negotiator. I, I agree. I, I would break easily. I don't care what. Just get it over with. So for so, those of you yeah. selling things, make sure to contact Bridget <laughs> contact first. Contact me. Yes. <laughs> And not to contact me if you're trying to get the better price. Exactly. Yeah. You contact yeah. me. If you want to negotiate or contact me. It's, contact Colleen. It's, it's in sure. my DNA. Um, right. I have to say a, a big thank you to every healthcare provider that works with patients that deal with Alzheimer's and dementia because I, we really haven't spoke much about it, but my husband's mother has Alzheimer's and she's reached a point where she needed to more help than she could get at home. And, oh my gosh, just, we've researched this before, but there are so many, you know, hurdles you have to jump over to get somebody into a nursing care type facility. And we've talked about it before with experts, but when you're personally going through it, we were so grateful for those people who had been through it before, who had the information, who were able to say, go here, not there. And I don't honestly know how a lot of people can afford to do this. It is not inexpensive. It is. It's crazy. You know, and and the part two, yes, we need to pay the people who are working in, in these facilities a very fair wage because they are doing some of the hardest work out there. But I really feel like there has to be something to take care of our families and our loved ones when we can no longer take care of them when we are no longer experts at doing this. I mean, I've had a similar situation, not like yours, not as dire, but my brother has MS and he's single and he no longer 
could take care of himself at all. We were doing the best that we could to be over there and help him. But he really didn't want his sisters bathing him. And I get that. So we had to work and jump through some hoops to get him in a facility. And, you know, when it, it happened to be right when my mother had passed away, all of his inheritance from my mother paid for his entrance into a really good facility. But I don't know how someone wonder, you know, not everybody gets an inheritance. Exactly. Not every, yes. Not everybody has. Not everybody has their social security that can go. It's there's so many facets to it. Mm -hmm. And we really need to do an episode on that. But I felt like all the times we've talked about the sandwich generation, I felt that this week. I was like leaning on our old episodes going, what did this person say? What did that person say? Because it just it's a challenging time for the entire family. And yes, I just I really can relate listeners out there who are going through this. I just relate so much to you guys this week because we were going through it as well. And also, we want to make sure that you guys know that we are just to shift gears. We want to make sure you guys know we are also on an app called LTK like to know. And it's an app for people who want to shop fashion and makeup and home goods and you name it like that represents I think there's 4,000 different stores on there and we thought that since we are the voice for midlife women we needed to have a voice on the platform of LTK to show those fashion trends and what helps with hot flashes and things like that house decor useful things that you use in your home thought that it would be a great platform to share some of the brands the products and sales and things because i'm big on finding deals i hate mm-hmm. to pay for unlike bridget who likes to just throw money <laughs> more. oh I'll, I'll give you more than that I just <laughs> no i won't do that i'll no. give you twice as my, much if i can I'll have it now my, i'm ailing if my eye is scratched or something like that <laughs> will i do that yeah but we figured we would um get on the platform to share those finds and treasures that we think women over 50 would love to know about. So the app is free to download. It costs nothing to join the LTK. It's shop.ltk app. And then just find us hot flashes and cool topics. There's a bunch of lines, but if you go on our website, you can find the link as well. So we are going to talk about the gallery and ask Dr. Larkin the questions you would want to know. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today we have on one of our favorite doctors, Dr. Lisa Larkin. You've known her for the past. We've talked about menopause. We've talked about heart health. And today we are going to talk about a really cool new cancer screening for whether it be high-risk possible cancer or women over 50. And it's called Gallery. So welcome to the show, Dr. Larkin. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, we always enjoy talking to you. You're such a wealth of information. And as founder of Miss Medicine, you're such a great advocate for women's health. And we thank you for everything that you do. I I obviously follow you. So does Bridget. And I noticed you started mentioning this um, test, this blood test called Gallery. Could you first explain what it is? So I certainly can. And I do want to start by saying, you know, I'm not a paid consultant for gallery for this test. This is something that um, I did a lot of my own due diligence before kind of rolling this test out to my practice. And now it's rolled out through all of our Ms. Medicine locations. This is an incredible blood test um, that is really changing the paradigm of how we think about cancer screening and early cancer detection. And it is just, it's the beginning of a new 
new era, and I'm very excited about this test and what the future holds for precision medicine um, and precision oncology and all the good things happening uh, with science advancing medicine. I, I was really amazed just reading up on gallery. I think it was it over 50 different cancers that could be possibly detected through a blood test. Right. And, and, oh, and, and a lot of cancers... Uh, that don't have other screenings. Is that also correct? That's right. So, so let me let me set the stage a little bit, um, which is you know, cancer is the second leading cause of death in the U.S. after cardiovascular disease. And although cancer death rates have been going down, incidence of cancer has actually been going up, and that's in large part which uh, driven by many things, including obesity. But what we know is we right now we only have five kind of screening uh, types of cancer that we can screen for right, which is colon cancer uh, with colonoscopy. Um, prostate cancer is a little bit debatable, but we'll put it in there with PSA testing. In smokers, we do uh, chest CT scans. We do mammograms for breast cancer and pap smears for cervical cancer. But unfortunately, you know, the vast majority of cancers we don't have validated screening profiles for. And unfortunately, the vast majority of cancer deaths come from all of those cancers that we don't screen for. And so why gallery is like the beginning of a new era is this is a blood test now that um, looks at, it's able to detect fragments of tumor DNA circulating in the bloodstream and be able to identify where it's even coming from through artificial intelligence. And this is just incredibly exciting because it's the type of cancers that, you know, everyone knows are the most deadly pancreatic and ovarian are the ones that, you know, people talk about a lot and are often diagnosed most of the time, in fact, at stage three and stage four, because people don't have symptoms, right? And so they're diagnosed late. And we know that early detection of cancer, when it's at stage one or stage two, it's much more treatable. And we know that survival, the five-year survival is four times higher if we detect cancer early as opposed to late. And so, you know, we've really been looking at ways to find cancer early. Um, and this is now a single blood test that identifies all, you know, 50 different types of tumor DNA in your bloodstream. And again, can, you know, identify where it's coming from. So then we can go back and, and and look, you know, image that area where we see this, where the blood test sees a cancer signal detected. I'm familiar like with a PET scan where you scan your body and the light up with certain areas of cancer. This, right. when you talk about a tumor DNA, you already have to have active cancer in your body. Correct. Right. And, and, and let's kind of set the stage there a little bit too, because I think your point's well taken. So in the last, you know, many years, um, there has been, kind of a push in some settings for people to do kind of this concept of total body imaging, to do CAT scans or PET scans or MRIs to look for cancer, you know, even though they don't have symptoms. And that type of process is fought with, fraught with all kinds of problems, right? Number one, it's, it's, often rate large amounts of radiation exposure, right? Number two, tumors have to be at a certain size before you can actually see them on imaging. And there's lots of types of cancer that aren't detected by imaging at all, things like leukemia, for example, um, which imaging would not be helpful for. Um, you know, you, you have radiation exposure um, and you also have the issue of finding things that you really don't want to find and then are chasing things because you're worried that they're cancer, right? So the more, the more times we image, we find, um, you know, 
kidney cysts, liver cysts, ditzels in the lung, um, and we really don't know what to, to do with them. And what I have seen in practice is, you know, a lot of times then we go biopsying things that lead to complications. Um, and so it's not a, per, you know, the imaging isn't a perfect test. The other problem with the imaging is that rolling that out to our entire population, um, it's really not it, it, there was really not, you're not able to do that, right? It's just never going to be a readily available test for the population. Um, and so it's just not perfect. Um, now, again, it, I don't think it's completely useless and there's settings where maybe it's correct, but it's not perfect. So having a blood test that looks for small fragments of tumor DNA um, is a much better and easier, right? Because uh, all people pretty much have access to having their blood drawn is a much easier type of screening test to roll out uh, when we're thinking about population cancer screening. So um, it's, it's really exciting. The science is just incredible. Um, and it really does mark, I believe, this beginning of a completely new paradigm in how we think about um, cancer screening and early cancer detection. So how would someone uh, get the test? Let's say, like, I have no cancer history in my family. Would I be a candidate for that? Well, so let's talk about that, right? So um, the way that the test is positioned and right now is being, um, you know, offered is for individuals, men and women, over the age of 50. And why is that the age? Is because we know that that's when we start to see an increase in cancer, and what we know is that in individuals over the age of 50, if we look, that about 1%, so 1 in 100 or 10 people in a, in a 1,000, have early stage cancer that they don't know about yet, right? So it's not a huge number, but it's 1% of the population over 50 is walking around with that. And if you then subgroup out people who carry hereditary cancer mutations or who have very strong family histories of cancer, the incidence is higher. So the way that I've been, I've been offering this in my practice and in the Ms. Medicine locations since the end of February. And the way that, you know, this is a very individual one-on-one -on -one discussion with patients about whether or not they want to consider testing like this, right? So I spend a lot of time, you know, and if you've seen anything on my website or listened to any of my, did some um, uh, webinars for my patients um, to talk about the data, because you really want to have an informed uh, patient going into this, right? Because no test is 100% perfect, and we want to understand what, you know, uh, what a positive and what a negative test means for an individual patient. But I'm talking to um, all of my patients over the age of 50 about the pros and cons of testing, and then slightly younger patients if they have a family history or a strong family history or carry a hereditary cancer mutation. So if someone is recommended to have it or they choose to have it, and they get a positive test back, meaning they're fine. There are some DNA tumor markers that are showing it. How do you find where the cancer is in someone's body? Right. So that's what's one of the amazing things about this test now. And, and the developer of this test has really worked hard and has a lot, you know, there's 300 plus thousand patients enrolled in the trials for this. And it's really been through a combination of understanding um, genetics and genetic tumor, you know, pieces of DNA uh, from these tumors and being able with artificial intelligence to actually map it to the site of origin. So in doing this test, you'll get one of two results. And I've done about um, 70 in my own practice right now. Um, I have not had any positives yet. And we'll talk about that. So the majority of individuals will get 
it'll say no cancer signal detected. The other option um, is to get one that says cancer signal detected, pancreas, cancer signal detected, head and neck, cancer signal detected, ovary, right? So it gives us an idea of where we should look for that. Now, of course, as I said, no test is positive. And the way that I talk to patients about this to make it you know, understandable is I told you that um, if just population, we look at the prevalence of cancer in individuals over the age of 50. This is average, right? This population number is that 1%. So if I have 1,000 patients, 10 of them are likely, likely have cancer at an early stage and don't have symptoms yet. If I do the gallery test on a thousand patients, I'm likely to get 10 positives. So I just, now I've done 70 in my practice. I'm going to have a positive one at some point, right? You know, it's about one in a hundred or 10 in a thousand. But if I did gallery on a thousand patients and I would expect to get 10 positive, five of them would be correct positives five of them would be false positives and five of them would five of the people who have cancer would be missed and so it's not perfect but the company developed the test to be very specific and what does that mean it means that the true negatives the the when you get a negative a true negative so in that same scenario if i have a thousand people 10 of them have asymptomatic um cancer. I do the test, 10 of them are positive. And I said, five are correct positive, five are false positives. And it misses five, 985 patients that got negative tests had correct negative tests. And so what you can really say to a patient when they get a negative test is that that's almost a hundred percent certain that it's negative, right? A true negative. So you're not going to have a lot of false negatives, right? But it's really a positive test is only 50-50. And so you have to talk to patients about that, right? That there is a chance um, that they could get a positive test and that it would be a false positive. But I can tell you there's been lots of press and lots of case reports um, from the company now of, again, where this has been very beneficial to find um, early stage cancers. And that's the goal, right, is to identify the aggressive cancers early before people have symptoms so we have the opportunity to do something about it. Now, in specific populations that have higher prevalence of cancer, right, then the test even becomes better. And where in my community now in Cincinnati, where I've been, um, where it's been rolled out in kind of the uh, high risk uh, genetic clinics is where the genetic counselors are telling me that they're finding it useful is for um, individuals who carry hereditary cancer mutations that we know put them at increased risk and say, you know, if you have a mutation that puts you at increased risk of pancreatic cancer and we're doing CAT scans on you per gut guidelines once a year to screen you because that's all we have had up until now. Now the genetic counselors are adding this test in addition so that it's like a second way of of looking um, at these high-risk individuals um, for early detection for cancers that we know that they're at risk for. So how does the process work if if I if I were your patient and I said, yeah, yes, I would like to get this done, what's the process of doing right. that? Well, it's very, it's very easy in my office and in all of the Ms. Medicine locations that we have. Um, you know, we draw your blood and we ship it to the lab in California. The turnaround time is about two weeks. Um, the big barrier with the test, and I, I have to be honest um, right now, is really cost. So this is a test that right this minute um, is you know, not going to be affordable for everyone. The test is about $1,000, which is unfortunate. But the way that I like to 
presents this because this is really game-changing science is, you know, I tell my own story, which is that when I was diagnosed with breast cancer eight years ago and I did genetic testing, I had $4,000 out of pocket to have my genetic testing done. And we were testing for only a small number of genes. Right now in my practice, I can send a 84 hereditary cancer genetic panel and the cost is only $250. And so in that span of time, because of competition, because of improved technology, the price has come way down. And I absolutely believe that that is what's going to happen right now with this technology. There's many other companies coming up the pipeline with similar and next generation tests. So once there's competition, once there's other tests on the market, you know, like anything, the price will start to come down, you know, and like our iPhones and everything else, you know, next generation, you know, updates of things are going to get better. So this really, I see as the very beginning of an incredible, exciting, time and science. Um, and, you know, it's going to continue to get better and it will become more available to everyone as the price comes down. Um, but, you know, for again, patients who, um, where, you know, finances really aren't a barrier and they understand the limitations of the test. Um, I think this is very exciting. Is that obviously it's not covered by insurance, but can that be, can that be put towards a deductible for people? Their HSA or your HSA, your high deductible, uh, you know, flex spending account, you can certainly use it for that. But because it's not a covered test by Medicare, I don't even think that you can apply it to your uh, deductible. Okay. I don't know that for sure, though, actually. Um, but I don't think so. That is not not the way that I understand it right now. But that's a that's a great question. If they just spent more time, the health insurance companies on preventative. Then they well, wouldn't for sure. You know, mm -hmm. then they wouldn't be in the, the situation where you're diagnosed stage three or stage four. If someone comes back with a positive test and there's a 50-50 chance that it's a false positive, what's the next step for them? Right. So say that, you know, they get a test that and this is the way that I will do it the first time that I have a test. So say that the first test that I have that's positive says cancer signal detected pancreas. Then of course the next step is to actually image the pancreas with a CT or a MRI. And if we see something, well, then that's great because that's early stage cancer that we've just detected. And now we'll make surgical treatment of that um, great. And that's where you see these success stories, right? Where you have early stage pancreatic cancer, you've just saved someone's life. But say that the imaging doesn't see anything, right? And I just mentioned that when things are very small and even for PET scans, right, you have to be, tumors have to be of a certain size before you can see them. And generally we say it's about one centimeter, right? Which is not tiny, right? So these teeny tiny two millimeter tumors when the pancreatic tumor is starting out certainly would be missed on imaging. And so the approach would be, you don't know if when you have that positive test, we had your imaging and we didn't see anything, what we would have to say, and this would be anxiety provoking for anyone, right? Which is like, we don't see it now. We're going to wait six months and we're going to repeat your gallery test. The company will repeat the test for free and we'll see. And the two options at six months would be either it's going to come back again and say, cancer signal detected pancreas. And we're going to look at your pancreas again, or it's going to say no cancer signal detected. And then we're going to say that that's a false, that was a false positive. Um, so, you know, like all through COVID, I was saying all about COVID antibody testing and COVID nasal swabs, you know, there's false positives and false negatives, and you have to kind of accept that that's true with all tests that we do. It's the same way with this. Um, but you know, if you're on the other side of the coin where you found your stage one pancreatic cancer, I think that's a huge, you know, and, and that's curative now that's a 
huge success. It is. And I also was looking, you know, on information on the gallery test. And it says, you know, don't do away with getting your mammogram or the other. No. And that's, yeah. that's a really important point. And I want to talk to you about that. In fact, I just had a patient right now who had a gallery test in the winter uh, from her other provider where she winters in Florida um, and then is home in Cincinnati this summer. And um, I just diagnosed her with DCIS. So that's very early stage breast cancer. Um, and, you know, it's debatable if it's called stage zero breast cancer or if it's just, you know, precancerous. But regardless, her question was, and very rightly, I had a gallery test, you know, three or four months ago. Why didn't it detect this cancer? And what we know is exactly that, right? Where this test is better is in tumors that um, are very vascular, are rapidly growing, are putting a lot of DNA into the bloodstream quickly for breast and particularly for something small and early stage like DCIS, that isn't a vascular tumor and they're not, that's not putting DNA in the bloodstream. That is absolutely not surprising that that would be missed, right? The same way as prostate cancer, early stage prostate cancer, we're not going to detect with gallery when it's early, right? And so you have to be mindful that we still have to be doing the other type of screening. So the same thing like for cervical cancer, right? So cervical cancer, you are not going to detect that by gallery when it is early stage and we have screening for that. So the key takeaway really is yes, absolutely. And, and you know, when you think about it, the reason that our other screening tests work is because they typically are slower growing tumors and we have a longer lead time to diagnose them, right? Pancreatic and ovarian grow so quickly that, you know, you'd have to be screening every single day with imaging basically not every day, but you know, things grow so fast that that's where the opportunity is with a blood test like this to really detect at a small size before you have symptoms. But yes, don't give up on mammograms and colonoscopies and pap smears, um, you know, just because you got a gallery test. With breast cancer, with women who, because we've spoken to so many women who either have dense breasts or have a genetic mutation like BRCA1, BRCA2, how does this test work with that? Right. So that's a great point. So, you know, again, I'm all about, um, you know, really helping women identify what their estimated breast cancer risk is using modeling, right? So what we're trying, of course, to do is two things with women. One, identify women who have hereditary cancer mutations. We are missing all of those women almost, right? We think we've only identified about 10% of women who carry those mutations because we're not doing a great job screening with family history. And, and in the space, there's a, you know, starting to be a big push since it's become, the cost has come down so much that we should really be thinking about doing population hereditary cancer mutations testing, right? Because, you know, it's a one-time thing, kind of, um, you know, you'll either know or you don't know if you have a mutation, but we're missing those women. So those are women we need to identify so we can be screening them more. And then the other women who have dense breasts and then hit that threshold of having a 20% lifetime or greater risk of developing breast cancer, we should be screening them more aggressively, right? And we know that we're missing the vast majority of those women. So for breast cancer, the important thing is really to identify those women who are at really high risk because we need to be imaging them aggressively. We need to be talking about potentially medication to lower their risk, talking to them about lifestyle. And then in patients, um, again, who are doing all that, I think gallery is appropriate to offer them. Now, again, as I said, breast cancer, early stage breast cancer is not the thing that gallery is going to pick up very readily, right? And so I don't think in that, I just want to make sure it's clear, right? Like, 
a woman who's at high risk who we're recommending get an annual breast MRI in addition to a mammogram, she in no way should think that gallery would replace that because it just absolutely would not. Now, your point though is right. In talking to the genetic counselors and how they're using it, in a woman who carries a BRCA mutation, so say this is a young woman who has not completed childbearing yet, you're trying to figure out when you are going to do her prophylactic ovary removal, you know, there is the opportunity to think about using this um, in addition to imaging to kind of buy her a little bit of time, um, you know, by screening her so that she can finish childbearing and we can get her to the place where, you know, it's okay for her to take your, you know, she's comfortable taking out her ovaries, right? So um, that is where I think it potentially is really useful. So, you know, in that 32, 34, 36 year old woman who hasn't completed having her kids yet, where she is at risk for ovarian cancer, you could be adding this test to the ultrasound that you're doing to screen her um, until she's ready to have her ovaries removed. That, that answered a question I was going to ask because I was going to say right now, you know, we're looking at women 50 and older, but you were using the example of a woman in her 30s. So that right. kind and, and of, that's, yeah. That's, and, the, you know, since this test has, you know, it was it was really launched um, to to the public in July of last year. You know, again, it's it's gradually getting uptake. I can tell you that, um, you know, I continue to see every day health systems that are starting to offer this in my community right now. It has in the in the health systems. It's being utilized in their high risk and precision medicine clinics. It hasn't been rolled out yet to all of the primary care providers. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, we're just learning a lot as we're going, right? So um, I actually spoke at a precision medicine conference um, in April, and the science is just so exciting about what's going on in so many spaces. But, you know, one of the things that continues to come up is, you know, we're just learning about who are the right people to do this in, when is this test potentially valuable, when is it probably not the right thing to do, right? And so, you know, there's a real discussion, you know, about would you stop at a particular age, right? And when this first came out, I, I really had very strong feelings that, you know, this isn't something we should be doing in 80 and 90 year olds. And then I had actually an experience with a 90 year old and, and a situation where I thought, gosh, I wish I had done the gallery test on him. Um, so I'm not, you know, again, you, you learn, we're all learning as we're using this test. Um, and again, I think there will be um, improvements in the test with next generation tests and improved technology. And again, this is kind of a work in progress. So just so I'm clear, so if anyone went to their primary care physician, they couldn't just say, if they had $1,000, they couldn't just say, I wanted to get a gallery test. Right, because it, at least in my community, and again, I just saw today that Henry Ford Hospital um, is starting to roll it out to their primary employed primary care providers. Again, in Cincinnati right now, um, in, it's only in our health systems in the high-risk clinics. And then there's a couple of us who have private practices who are offering it, but it's not widespread. Um, what we've decided to do in our Ms. Medicine practices and what I've been doing is for, and I've, this has largely been for spouses so far, of existing patients um, is that, you know, we want you to come in and do a, a one-time consult with us because we really want to go through your medical history, make sure that the test is appropriate for you. So a non-patient could come see me in my practice um, and we would, it, you know, again, with a one-time visit, if they wanted to do it just, you know, so we could talk about the pros and cons of doing the testing um, with them and make sure that they were the right candidate, that we are doing the test for non 
patients if they wish. Um, and so in other communities, I would suggest if you're interested in this test, you know, to look around and see who, um, who in your community is offering the test. And I'm thinking Miss Medicine is not in Nashville yet, right? <laughs> yeah, we're trying. We're, we're, we're trying. We're, we're well, trying. Sign us, <laughs> sign us up for the wait list on that yes. one. You know, in, in a little more general terms with women over 50, and we were so excited to learn about this test, what ideally would you like to see them when they come in for their physicals each year? What tests should they be taking? What should they be asking about taking? Well, right. So, you know, at 50, it's really making sure that uh, their mammograms are up to date and they're doing their annual mammograms for sure, and that their pap smears are up to date and that their colonoscopy is up to date, right? And those are the three things uh, right right off the bat. Now, in terms of then you look at their smoking history to see whether or not we would also be doing screening for um, lung cancer, depending on their smoking history. Um, If you're talking about what other tests in terms of not just in a, cancer. In an ideal world, if it, if cost wasn't an issue, what should they be worried about? A gallery test and making sure that they also don't need hereditary cancer um, genetic testing, I think, are the things that I focus on a lot in practice because they are so huge, hugely impactful in terms of, you know, preventative wellness. But I, I don't know if what you're driving at is, you know, if you want to talk about bone density or you want to talk about, you know, cardiac testing in asymptomatic mm-hmm. patients, um, whether or not that is. I think, I think the biggest thing at 50, um, you know, this is really the transition for most women, um, you know, from having their OBGYN largely as their primary care provider to really needing a primary care provider because women start to get hypertension, they start to get diabetes, they start to have thyroid abnormalities. Like, you know, you start, you're starting to get to the place where you're having more medical problems and you're not childbearing anymore. Um, And so the internists become more important. And then the biggest gap that the reason I started Ms. Medicine and what I really believe um, and see day in and day out is, But the problem is um, still 50-year-olds are relatively healthy, so they have very few points of contact even still with their primary care provider, and their primary care providers aren't really trained or educated about things to talk about in the women's health space. And so menopause and perimenopause gets ignored. Um, sexual health gets ignored. Family history really gets ignored. So we, we miss the opportunity to do the hereditary cancer testing And the big thing is, it's really the time when we have to be talking to women about the impact of lifestyle, not just on heart disease risk, but on their breast cancer risk and the importance of weight management and diet and all of these things. Because, you know, what I tell all my patients as an internist, you know, having been practicing for more than 30 years now is that, you know, by the time you're 80 or 85, you know, your hand's kind of been dealt you know, I can tweak your blood pressure. I can make your diabetes control a little bit better. I can manage your asthma. We can make sure we're getting your eye exams and your skin exams. And, you know, we talk about fall prevention and osteoporosis, but really the impact that I'm going to have on your life expectancy when you're 80 and 85 by doing all of those things that we talk about is actually very small, right? It's, it's small, but if I can identify hereditary cancer mutation and a 50 year old, or I can identify a woman who's at very high risk, for breast cancer, um, and I can um, image her and you know diagnose her breast cancer at stage one instead of stage three. I mean, I have changed that woman's life, right? And in a huge way. So the impact I can have on how someone, how long they live and how they age is really important. And we're just not doing enough for the midlife women. It goes back to your point about, you know, we focus on 
uh, procedures and replacing valves and knee replacements. And, you know, as what, what our health, we do things to people in our health system. We haven't focused enough on um, prevention. And that really is kind of why this gallery test has been so exciting for me um, and why I was really, you know, one of the early adopters and rolling this out to all of my locations for Ms. Medicine. That's kind of what I was saying is when a woman walks in and, and she's over 50, instead of just being reactive to things happening to her, how can she be pre- proactive and say what right. and I And I think that's right. And I think it's really going in with a list and, and you know, I, I try to, this is part of Ms. Medicine too, right? And empowering 50-year-old women to go in and say, you know, I, I want to understand my breast cancer risk. Do I have high breast density? Do you think I need genetic testing, right? I'm having menopause symptoms. Do you really think I'm a candidate for hormone therapy? What about my heart disease risk? What's the data about hormones and heart disease and cognitive decline? And like, should I be taking hormone therapy? You know, what about my bone health? What about um, my heart health? You know, really having conversations about things that we should be empowering women to do to um, really impact their longevity and their life and their survival, which really, again, it's, you know, I see my 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds, some of them, you know, once a month. um, So I have a lot of contact with them, but really the impact I have on their life is very small compared to the impact I could have on my 50-year-old men and women. Yes. I mean, I, I, I can, you know, I'm thinking about my friends that are breast cancer survivors or have some didn't survive. And I'm thinking about just the quality afterwards, even if they did survive. Um, I have a friend that had stage three breast cancer. She could not go anywhere at all during during a lockdown or even afterwards. It's very dangerous for her to the chance of her to get COVID. But if she had had a test like this, beforehand, if she was able to take this, her lifestyle would be probably different if she could have caught this cancer before that. So I just find it very exciting that, and I printed out the whole list. It was an alphabetical order of, (laughs) of all the cancers that can be detected. It is amazing. Right. It is. I I spoke at, I said, I spoke at a precision medicine conference. I spoke um, with an internist in the uh, Detroit area that also had been one of the early adopters doing the tests. And at that time I had done about 40 in practice. He had done about 70, but he had already had two positives. Uh, One of an early stage um, uh, uh, multiple myeloma and one of a head and neck cancer. And so both of those were true positives for him um, and, you know, really impactful for the patient. So, you know, again, I think I think it is exciting. You know, there is some pushback still, um, you know, about whether or not we should be doing this because there's no, you know, I'm, I'm a very guideline driven physician, right? So I want to practice evidence-based medicine. And so right now, you know, the big organizations like the U S preventative services task force or the American college of physicians, you know, there's no recommendation that we should be doing this yet. Right. So I'm a little bit of an outlier. And, um, the truth is, I think this is always like this moving line of, you know, when, when is, when should we, when is it okay to adopt um, new technology before new technology, new testing before guidelines. And I think that's a very gray line and I struggled with it. I will be honest. I, I, I spent a lot of time 
really so that I could be very educated about this data on this and feel really good that I was not selling snake oil to my patients because a thousand dollars is a lot of money. And, um, you know, but, but I do, I really, um, again, I, I spent a lot of time learning and researching this myself to feel really comfortable about this. And I do think, um, that even though there are no guidelines that through shared decision-making with patients and really making sure they understand the data, that this is the right thing for some patients right now. And I, I would just ask my last question would be, you talk a lot about precision medicine. Could you explain number one, what that is and where you would like to see this go in the future? So when we think about precision medicine, what we're talking about is um, not treating everybody the same, but by using information about a specific patient to tailor their therapy. So like right now, what we've been doing for all of time is treating men and women the same, which we finally are starting to learn, right? That women are different than men and, you know, cardiovascular disease in women is different than cardiovascular disease in men. And so maybe we should be treating them differently and thinking about it differently. But certainly what what we know is that not all breast cancer is the same either, right? Um, when we start to think about it, right? And um, not all individuals respond to chemotherapy or to specific medications the same way. So this is this whole big move now to change from one size fits all to having really tailored um, tailored screening, tailored treatment um, for cancer and for other diseases. So it's tailoring um, our disease prevention uh, and treatment that takes into account um, genetic things, um, their lifestyle, reproductive factors, the environments, environment they live in, right? Taking the whole picture to uh, really um, uh, so that we would think about individual treatments. And where it's really exciting is in the oncology space, if you think about it, right? So that, you know, my breast cancer is not the same as my neighbor's breast cancer is not the same as the person's breast cancer down the street, right? So now it's using the actual, the genetic makeup of the specific breast cancer to really help us better define what treatments and, and how much treatment is needed, right? So what we've learned now is that we've probably been over-treating a lot of women with breast cancer, right? And so we need to understand the tumor biology different. The other thing we know is that we have a lot of patients on these drugs called aromatase inhibitors after they have breast cancer. And we know that only a minority of those patients actually get any benefit from those drugs, right? But up until now, we really haven't started to have a good understanding or any understanding of how to pick and choose who should be getting those, those, you know, the, those drugs and who really needs the chemotherapy and who really doesn't. And now because of starting to understand tumor biology and tumor genetics better, we're able to really um, do a better job at tailoring um, treatments. And it's really, frankly, what we're trying to do even just with breast cancer risk assessment. That's a different thing with precision medicine, but the concept is the same, right? Which is instead of just screening, which is what we've been doing now, all women over the age of 40 or over the age of 50 with an annual mammogram, we really should be identifying women who are at very low risk of breast cancer and maybe the guidelines should be different or those women clearly who are at very high uh, risk of breast cancer and where we need to be screening much more aggressively. And so, you know, this is all about trying to do better with individualized care. That's where the precision medicine comes in. Well, it sounds amazing. And we just want to thank you so much. Every time you come on, we learn so much. And just watching 
Miss Medicine Grow and being a voice for women and our, our healthcare because we need to be advocates in our own healthcare. But the fact that you are specializing in women's healthcare is just such a gift to all of us. And we appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. And I appreciate what you're doing too. Thank you very <laughs> much for having me on. And I appreciate it very much. I think this is so amazing what we've learned from Dr. Larkin today. I mean, with Miss Medicine and the things that she's going through and gallery testing, I am really eager to have this testing done. And I really like to how when when we asked her about having a pre, I don't know, family members that have had cancer in your family. I don't have a lot of that in my family, but that didn't matter. I could still get this test now. You know, I would love one day for this to be covered uh, by insurance because prevention is just the key here. But I, I just think it's amazing. And I love the fact people. that there's AI involved, too, so they can actually because I thought it was like, OK, they t detect tumor DNA, but how do they locate it? And they can tell you right in the area, whether it's your pancreas or your liver. It's just amazing what they can do now. Now, if it would only it be covered by health insurance so that everyone could get a test like this. That would be right. great. That would be great. Colleen and I would love to get this test. We're going to be searching for doctors in our area that will give us this test. Make sure that you follow us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and we have our LTK shop as well, shop.ltk. And then just search for hot flashes and cool topics on there. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope this gave you some information because knowledge is power. And when it comes to our health over 50, we have to be our best advocates. So thank you, Dr. Larkin, for sharing gallery with us today. And we will talk to you guys next time. Have a great week. Bye.